Hello, I'm Catherine Harmer. I'm a professor of cognitive neuroscience and I work at uh, the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Oxford. And I'm Susanna Murphy. I'm a senior research fellow also in the Department of Psychiatry at Oxford University. Fantastic. Welcome both to the podcast. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, tell us why you decided to focus on this active ingredient that you've just finished reviewing. Um, well, I think we, we focused on it because depression and anxiety in adolescence is on the rise. It's on the increase and consistent with this, more and more young people are being treated with antidepressant uh, type of, of medication, particularly when their symptoms are, are more on the uh, severe end of the spectrum. And so we focused on SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are one of the most commonly prescribed types of um, antidepressants, which work across depression and anxiety. And uh, we'd seen this uh, recent meta-analysis using a network approach, which compared across a wide range of, of different treatments, both drug treatments and psychological treatments in uh, adolescents with depression. And they found that of all the current treatments that had been tried and tested in trials, there was only really good evidence um, that the SSRI fluoxetine and also fluoxetine with the addition of um, cognitive behavioural therapy was beneficial for adolescents with depression. And so this seemed like a good place to start when looking for an active ingredient, a way of trying to understand what actually might work in the treatment of, of young people, even though this treatment on its own may not be uh, perfect or um, the best way forward, but it does give us a, a clue as to what might be working. And this is really important when we come to um, developing um, new treatments of the future. And I think it's also really important to think about antidepressants, uh, even uh, for young people with, with depression and anxiety and to get that conversation going, because I think that there's a lot of stigma around uh, mental illness. And the young people that we spoke to in our workshop also raised this stigma about having to take a drug treatment for um, mental health um, conditions. So I think it's important to look at the evidence, to think about it and to have that conversation and to see whether there is evidence that this kind of treatment may work under what circumstances, for whom, how it works. And this is really important if we're um, going to pave the way for, for better treatments in the future. So I wanted to ask you before we move on to the other kind of more detailed questions about the review and what you found, this is a, a, a sort of standalone topic in the context of all the other topics that were covered by these welcome active ingredients. You're the only one that looked at a medication and there's about 30 of them. Um, did that surprise you? In a way, I mean, I think it, it, it did surprise me uh, since SSRI as a medication is widely used in young people with depression and anxiety and, and the rates are increasing, as I mentioned, uh, they've more than doubled over a 10 year uh, period. So they, they are uh, being used. And if you speak to clinicians who are treating young people, they are uh, widely um, prescribed. I think, though, that there is this feeling that we need to look at all uh, potential available treatments that go beyond ones that we're currently using and there may be um, different types of, of um, active ingredient or different components that are very beneficial and some of these will be beneficial as, as um, towards the more mild to moderate um, severity range and some may be very useful for the more severe case as well but we really need to take stock and to understand what uh, might be working what 
um, isn't working before we move on. But I do think more generally that there is a potential problem with um, not focusing on young people um, with um, anxiety and depression and considering um, medication. And I think this, um, this is partly because it can be very uncomfortable when it comes to thinking about giving young people um, drug treatments. No one really wants to give their own uh, child or, or uh, friends and family um, a medication. And I think that this has actually turned away um, researchers and funding bodies and pharmaceutical companies from even considering these, um, these types of, of questions. And I think that this is very, really important uh, because if we don't consider what is a treatment which is actually being used quite a lot and uh, we're asking adolescents to take in uh, on occasion but we're not prepared to, to talk about it to think about it to research it understand how it works and therefore uh, lead to, to future treatments then I think that this is a, a problem so I think the disquiet about giving young people drugs has has made people not even want to uh, go there and, and think about it but I think that this is a very important thing that we need to consider as well. And I think that was an important part of the context of us wanting to do this project, wasn't it? The kind of contrast between, on the one side, the controversy about antidepressants in young people and, and the understandable, sort of uncomfortable feeling that people have about giving these drugs, any drugs, but particularly antidepressants that affect the brain. And we know that this is a critical period of time when, when the brain is developing. And, and there's lots of stories about antidepressant use in, in young people or, or worries about it. Like, do they even work? And do they increase suicide risk? And are we over-medicating young people? But, but then on the flip side, I, I guess we were all aware when we came to this project that, that the alternative of, of under-treating young people is also very uncomfortable. Because if you look at the evidence of what happens to young people when their depression and anxiety isn't well treated, the, the impact of that is can be really quite devastating. You know, they don't complete their education in the way that they might have done. They don't um, have the same social and emotional development that, that they would have done. And, and actually, you know, the evidence of the long lasting impact of that is quite clear. So, it, so in terms of the project, it was really interesting for us to say, okay, well, let's actually look at the evidence of what are the risks but also what, what are the potential benefits of antidepressants? And, and let's do that in a very evidence-based way so that we can kind of bring a bit of clarity to, to this controversial field. So it's an area where there isn't enough evidence, in my view, having blogged about this for you know, many years. So did the evidence that you found in your review actually kind of support your initial views about antidepressants in young people? Yeah, so I think um, one of our views, like you, is um, was that probably there isn't enough evidence about critical questions. And, and that was certainly what we found when we looked at the literature, that there were lots of questions that, that ideally we would have the answer to, that, that the literature just doesn't give us at the moment. I suppose um, what there is a lot of literature about, and a lot of studies have been done, um, looking at the efficacy of antidepressants. So do they work um, in a very sort of straightforward way? Like do they impact upon symptoms and um, do that, they do that better than placebo? And actually there's lots of studies that look at that. And I suppose one of the things that was really interesting for us when we looked at that literature was, was the kind of unpacking of that evidence and, and which bits of evidence um, 
are useful and provide us kind of a clear answer to that question. And um, what, what's quite striking about this field is that um, many of the studies that have been done by the pharmaceutical company were done in a particular context. So they were done very quickly in response to um, incentives um, that, that were kind of, they came from a good place. They essentially wanted to incentivize pharma to do more studies in young people so that there was a better evidence base. But because of the timing of this scheme that was run by the FDA, actually many, many studies in young people were run very quickly. Um, and that meant that they were very poorly executed. Um, and one of the things that happens often when studies are run in that way across many different sites is that you get a very high placebo rate. And that's what's seen in these studies. So actually in many of the pharma studies, there's a placebo rate of, of like up to 60% of people giving placebo are, are showing a response. And, and that's actually distorted some of the efficacy field. So if you put all of those studies into a meta-analysis, which is kind of tends to be seen as the best way of, of putting together data, actually um, it looks like SSRIs are only a tiny bit better than, than placebo. And one of the things that was really interesting for us in this project was to actually think, well, where does the best evidence come from? Which, which of these studies give us the most reliable information? And so actually in this context, going to the, the sort of largest, best run studies, so the, the ones that have the best quality imp um, implementation are, are probably the best ones to look at. And so if we look at those publicly funded, large scale, really well run studies, Actually, the evidence is much stronger because that placebo rate isn't, isn't as high. And so that was a kind of um, interesting extension, I guess, of, of what we knew when we started this project. So the EBM experts often say sometimes a single RCT is better evidence than a, random, than a systematic review. Is that the case, you think, in this area? I think that's right. And, and when we were running this project, we actually started to rely much more heavily, really, on, on kind of single run big and we're lucky because in the states um, some of these studies have been funded um, and you know they, they've given us a fantastic opportunity not just to understand the effects of antidepressants but also contrast that against the effects of CBT um, all within the same study and, and that's um, a really good way of understanding effects rather than trying to pull lots of data from lots of different studies together so I think absolutely that that's the case in, in this field. I don't know what the stats are, but I think there's quite a lot of things that we do in mental health for which there is no evidence or quite poor evidence. Um, and then there's also lots of things where there's good evidence and we don't do them. Um, it, it feels like this is an area where we don't have very good evidence, but it's very common to, to prescribe antidepressants in young people. Um, that's problematic, isn't it? Yeah, I think it, I think there is a big gap between uh, what we know and the evidence and investigations of, of antidepressants in young people and then the, the level to which they're used and uh, prescribed. I agree with Susie that actually there's of all of the evidence and investigations, most has focused on whether they work or not or not. But there's very little around that. Um, who, who do they benefit best? What factors or processes are involved in how they work and that is really critical to understand um, how to prescribe them better under what circumstances how to best combine them with different types of treatment and then ultimately how to use that information to develop 
new treatments of, of the future. So I thought it was particularly stark that there was hardly any studies looking at, at how they work um, in young people. And that's really important because although it's been done a lot in adults, the, the adult and the adolescent brain can be quite different and, and not just the brain, of course, there's social, emotional, cognitive differences as well. And so we can't just assume that how they work in adults will be the same as how and if they work in young people as well. So I think that there is this huge gap and it's really important that we start to address it. And what did you find? Sorry, Susan. Right. I think also what's interesting is, uh, although many of these studies have looked at whether they work, the kind of outcomes that are used in these studies are, are really quite narrow. So in our conversations with young people, the sorts of things that they wanted to know just aren't addressed by the, the kind of classic clinical trials. So, you know, is it going to make me better at doing my schoolwork or more able to do my schoolwork? Those, those kinds of questions are just really not represented um, in, in our kind of typical clinical trial. So I think, um, the evidence base is, is narrow and there are many questions, both about how they work, as Catherine says, but, but also the effects on, on sort of functional outcomes that really matter to young people. And, and that's another gap that really needs um, filling. So if you talk to people that are reviewing adult antidepressant literature for depression, people like Andrea Cipriani in Oxford, then they will talk about how research needs to evolve in order to answer the more complete picture for, for people. Um, and, you know, not just using RCTs and systematic reviews, but also using cohort data and patient experience data and all this kind of thing. Let's just push to a side for a second the fact that no one is really funding antidepressant in young people research. What do you think would be the ideal pathway to follow in order to answer these questions reliably, the questions that young people actually have themselves? I think that there is a huge need to speak to young people themselves and uh, as a first step, and that, that is partly what we did as, as part of this project. We held a number of workshops with young people with lived experience of depression and anxiety that had also had some contact or um, a decision about whether to take antidepressants or not. And I think that things that they, said were really important to them to know about whether they could how, how their school life would be affected how their schoolwork and their ability to concentrate and learn do exams would be affected how diversity might affect um whether you respond or not or how antidepressants work um how, how you can combine them with drug and um alcohol use or whether you know what, what are the what's known about that um all of these different questions there wasn't really a huge amount of um literature on them so I think that that would be a really good starting point what are the things that are really important to to people with depression and anxiety that they would like to see targeted by treatment and it's not always the uh the the, the rating scale that's used in RCT so I think as, as Susie said we need to move beyond just thinking about the diagnostic um symptoms and actually think about what that really means to an individual or how how they would like to see recovery and designing studies around those aspects. Um, it could be um, the experience of cohort studies, but they could also be randomised clinical trials if you knew what, what areas you wanted to, to focus on and had a good instrument to look at it. And also understanding the, the factors that might make up that um, process by doing some science behind it. So I think ideally all of those things would, 
would go ahead in in parallel and again you can do some uh, uh, evidence to see how antidepressants affect those things which are really of most concern to young people and their families um, who actually in that situation of deciding whether to take an antidepressant or not. I also wonder if there's evidence out there already I mean drawing on the kind of adult example again you know there's been a lot of discussion recently about antidepressant withdrawal and there's been kind of, you know, statements published by the Royal College of Psychiatrists and by NICE, which have actually changed their position on that quite dramatically, where they've said, OK, well, we do accept that this exists and it maybe exists to a bigger extent than we previously thought. And here's what we need to do about it if we're struggling as individuals to withdraw from antidepressants. Um, you know, that was really informed massively by the community of people out there, you know, the Surviving Antidepressants website, there was a huge amount of evidence out there that withdrawal symptoms are important, but it wasn't so much evidence-based research. It was just patients saying, I'm really struggling to get off these drugs. Yeah. Um, does that equivalent exist, do you think, in young people taking antidepressants? Is there other kinds of evidence out there that we can draw on? Yeah, I think it does. And, and certainly that was the most striking thing about the workshops that we had with the young people was that they were they were buzzing with questions and, and it was almost embarrassing how few we were able to give answers to based on the, the literature and uh, you know they're concerned about withdrawal just like the the adult community and there was lots of questions about that we had young people you know speaking very personally about you know how how scary it is to be taking an antidepressant and not really knowing what's going to happen when when you stop taking it so so i think there was no shortage of um of questions being raised and I think it was a real lesson that often within the scientific community we look within other people's work to find inspiration for the questions that we should be answering and or asking and you know what's been found before and then let's do an extension of that and, and actually just stepping outside of that and really speaking to young people to patients and understanding what, what's it like to be faced with that decision about whether to take antidepressants or not what for you would be the pros and cons what would you need to know that you, that you don't know right now and I think it was um just like the example that you give you know of people describing uh their their experience of withdrawing from antidepressants it was just really stark that um people young people are having to make these decisions essentially in a vacuum of information so you know if I take this antidepressant Will it have an impact on my brain development? You know, will it have a long-term consequence? And actually, we don't really know the answer. We don't know the answer. Clinicians aren't able to give a satisfactory answer as a result. And, and so it's just a very bizarre place for a young person to be in, that they're having to make this really quite complicated choice about their treatment, but not knowing, you know, the, the actual pros and cons of that. And, and I think that, that that was the strongest voice it wasn't a particular question it was just the lack of information more generally that um that we became aware these young people were having to sort of deal with when making these difficult choices at a difficult point in their lives and, and I think you know by the end it it felt that it was a sort of ethical issue really that it's you know it's important on the one hand that given that antidepressants are effective in certain circumstances they may be a really important clinical tool and just withdrawing that doesn't seem ethical, but but also it doesn't seem ethical to be offering young people these treatment options without being able to tell them what the effects will be and, and have a really good evidence base for that. 
And, and I think that that was the kind of strongest message really that, that we were left with from, from our workshops with these young people. Okay, so the $6 million question, if you had a teenage child who was very severely depressed, what would your thoughts be in terms of treatment options well, I, I think that is a that is a very um, useful way of thinking about it because you do end up when you're reading all this literature and talking to young people, thinking about your own uh, family and your own um, position because we're all humans as well. And um, and I think obviously you'd be very guided by uh, clinician uh, feedback and discussion based on the specifics of the circumstance. But I, I did end up feeling quite strongly that I absolutely would consider antidepressant drug treatment for my child if they were suffering from depression or anxiety at the level that with the, the severe end that we're talking about now, because the the other side of it is 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 is, is really difficult. Uh, if you have depression, uh, severe depression, for example, as a young person, it can have lifelong implications. It can affect the level of education that you receive and therefore your job prospects. It can affect your peer support and your ability to learn from your peers and develop um, your social and cognitive and emotional development. And all of these things can set up um, potential problems for the, for the future. And it's true that we don't know everything about SSRI um, treatment. We don't know if you have it as, as a young person, if that's going to have a long term impact on your on your brain or development in another way. And that's the really difficult balance, isn't it, between um, two unknowns, really. But I, I personally speaking, from my own uh, human point of view, I think I would um, think that adequately treating the depression was the most important thing of all in my children but of course it's it is a very individual decision and um you have to make the best decisions you can with the available information that you have at the time so it's it's not a, a an easy decision and not one that i would uh, you know really want to take but i did end up feeling that this this was really important to have this as a possible treatment option we don't want to close it down uh, because we do need sometimes to treat severe cases of, of depression and anxiety in young people so it's important that we have it. And how does it sit alongside the other options, talking treatments, exercise, you know, other things that we know are effective? Would you would you not try those first? I think as, as Catherine said, it, it it always depends on the situation. And but of course, there are many treatment options that that feel more comfortable, would be preferable if if they're effective. And and I think, you know, certainly with a young person who's experiencing um, depression or anxiety in the mild to moderate range, absolutely, there's you know there's good evidence that there are other treatment approaches that um, that that would um, I suppose have less obvious risks associated with them. I think if you've got a severely unwell uh, young person, it may be that many of those treatment options aren't. Um, possible for them at that particular point. And, and sometimes drug treatment can be an important way of allowing a young person to engage with other treatments as well. Um, so I think it's very difficult to compare directly one treatment against another. And of course, um, there are many factors that need to be taken into consideration when you're thinking at an individual level. But, but I think for some young people, um, antidepressants, uh, a, a really important option to have um, and 
uh, yeah, as Catherine says, it's really important that we don't allow that to be taken away from them. Where does this leave you individually and as a research group, having done this work? Are you kind of now inspired to try and answer some more of these questions and further look into this field? Absolutely. I think this is it's it's so important and it's there's so many unknowns that it becomes a real priority. And so um, I would very much like to follow this up or we would very much like to follow this up with further work looking at antidepressant treatment in uh, young people. It isn't an easy um, research program to, to start off because of the, the ethical and um, other factors that we need to consider. But I think it is, as Susie said, really important that we don't neglect this area. And so uh, it has given us some ideas which we're going to start uh, working and thinking about now. I think um, there's also a real interest growing um, within our group about the possibility of understanding a bit more about how to combine treatment options. So, so we tend to kind of see them as very separate options, but but we'd love to kind of start doing some more mechanistic work about how, you know, if you are going to take an antidepressant and do some talking therapy, how might they best be combined? And, you know, we can just throw them simultaneously at a person, but surely actually, if we understand a bit more about how each is working and the time course of when each is working, maybe there are really um, good ways to, to use these synergistically to, to increase the, the effects of both of them. And, and so that's a, that certainly has come out of this project as an interesting area that, that we'd like to follow up. And so now we're at the end of 2020, you've completed this review, this evidence is, you know, just about to be published and shared. What, what do we know from this? That moves us forward in terms of practice or in terms of other research? Have, have you found out something that has proper implications? I think one of the important things that's come out of this is that we've defined some of the key areas where more work could be done and, and this is this has come out of our review of the literature but really has particularly been stimulated from the conversations that we've had with young people. So so we've kind of, although there's lots and lots of things that we don't know, we've distilled that down to some kind of critical questions that we think particularly need um, answering, many of which we've, we've alluded to in this conversation. So, um, you know, what happens when a young person stops taking antidepressants and, and um, what, what happens in terms of withdrawal? Um, what are the effects of antidepressants on cognition and academic um, performance and, and ability? and uh, what are the long-term consequences of taking an antidepressant? That's really difficult to, to examine. <laughs> it's difficult to do those studies, but, but it's, of course, a critical question to be asking. How should antidepressants best be combined with other treatments? And, and can we understand that um, more mechanistically? Um, what else? There must, <laughs> are there other ones, Catherine? I can't remember. Um, how, how we can predict response and a major challenge is um, trying to identify people who may particularly benefit and that's even more important in this area if you don't want to expose young people to a drug that might not work for them then it's really important that we start to unpick the processes that that make somebody more likely to respond so we can personalize treatment um, more effectively and uh, including this difference between or, or possibly whether somebody should have drug treatment or psychological treatment or a combination and how they, they should be combined. Yeah. I'm always really interested as well in the, the, the differences between what happens in practice 
and what the evidence tells us. Do you think what happens currently in primary care and in mental health specialist services is a fair reflection of what we know from the evidence? Or do you think we should be asking practitioners to behave differently now that we have this evidence? I think the evidence is actually so far is actually quite consistent with clinical practice because it does suggest that uh, drugs like fluoxetine uh, are effective on the whole for, for uh, young people with depression or anxiety compared to um, placebo. So the, the use of, of fluoxetine I think is backed up by the evidence that we have so far but I think we need even more evidence. And I think one thing that was um, discussed in the uh, meta-analysis uh, that I started with was if we're going to try and look at um, uh, comparisons between different types of treatment, um, between drug treatments and between psychological treatments and their combination, we actually need much more evidence than we currently have to make those more nuanced um, differences. And so, for example, in the meta-analysis, there wasn't really any additional benefit of adding in psychological treatment on top of fluoxetine for adolescents with depression. And yet, actually, the um, the, the TAD study, uh, which looked at those within a single study, suggested there was actually an advantage of adding in um, CBT. And, and, and it, of course, the clinical recommendation is that you would have an antidepressant alongside some psychological therapy as well. And so uh, I think we, we do need more evidence on that to, to, to start to pull that out. And, and as Susie said, how we put those two things together. Do you start the treatments at the same time? Do you emphasize one component of psychological treatment to support what's happening with the, the drug treatment or vice versa? H how is it that you do that? So I think in some ways, what, what is happening in the clinic that drugs like fluoxetine um, is being used is actually supported by uh, the results of this review. It's just that there's not a huge amount of evidence, we need even more. So what's the message for research funders from this? I, I would like to see much more investment in um, to understanding drug treatments for um, young people with depression and anxiety, and particularly at uh, a level looking at the, the core uh, mechanisms or means by which they work because I think that this mechanistic information is really important if we're going to devise new treatments if we've got no idea and just happen to stumble on a treatment that works by chance the likelihood that we're going to stumble on another treatment that works by chance is, is quite low and of course you can have drugs that are rather similar to the ones we have but if we want to make a, a leap in treatment then we really need to see what are the things that fluoxetine is doing and what also are the things that it's not doing very well and therefore might require additional other types of intervention and so once we understand how the drug is working um, then we can this paves the way for, for for better research and I think um, there might have been the tendency to believe that that kind of work would be done by pharmaceutical industry because they're the ones that develop the, the drugs, but it isn't. Pharmaceutical industry aren't investing in developing new treatments for, for young people. Whatever reason, uh, it could also be this, this um, for fear of negative views and, and feedback, or it, it could be for other financial reasons, but they aren't, they aren't investing programs of work in this very important area. So we do need to look research funders and charities to try and underpin this important work. It doesn't mean that we want to promote the use of, of drugs uh, more widely than they, they would otherwise have the clinical need for, but we do need to understand how and why and when and for whom they're working. So I think it, 
is a very important area to invest for the sake of, of young people with depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm.